Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardis. Let's let's talk some freaking Atlanta Falcons today, everyone. Why the hell not? Joining me, as always, none other, Dwayne the Great McFarlane. That was a new one, Dwayne. How are you doing? Dwayne the Great McFarlane. <laughs> it works. If my family listened to that, they might say, well, yeah, he's really not the great. Like, there are a lot, a lot of McFarlanes that are, like, better, you know, probably than me. For sure, better than me. But but I'll take it, Ian. You know, I appreciate it because it gets me pumped up so that, you know, I, I can do a good job on this podcast. I got a text from you last night because apparently we don't talk enough uh, during the day. And you're saying how your lovely wife sent you under the kitchen sink to try to figure out the faucet. And, um, yeah, the sink is still broken. Dwayne. Have you fixed the sink? No, like, I mean, it's not leaking everywhere, but it's it's just loose up top. It's just really hard to get to is the problem. Like the way the sink underneath is set up and the way you got to like get to the part you got to tighten. Not that everyone cares. Like there's just not a lot of room. So I'm going to have to actually clean everything out from under there uh-huh. like this weekend and really get under there like to, to get it. I, I tried to kind of like just, you know, lay on top of a bunch of crap that was already under the sink and get it done um and it didn't work so uh, we'll get it this weekend it'll probably take longer than it should because i'm not good at that kind of thing homeowner problems uh me as a renter basically what happens when i have a problem is i call the rental office and god forbid i'm like even minorly annoyed and they just immediately need to clarify to me that it's not their personal like it wasn't them it wasn't the lady that picked up the phone who actually caused water to start shooting into my apartment and then i try to explain to them that even though that might be the case i am paying them money for their apartment maybe they can understand where i'm coming from but you know what Dwayne? enough about water leaks i'll worry about that as soon as we're done here most likely Let's talk some Atlanta Falcons football was not the best season. We were actually joking around about uh, before that we started recording here. Falcons last year were seven and 10. Not bad. Not many teams, you know, were able to beat that. I mean, okay. A lot of teams were, but seven and 10, not the worst record in the league point differential though. Holy shit. They were bad. Minus 146, the only worst team in the NFC were the New York Giants, only worst teams in the AFC, the Houston Texans, the New York Jets, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So you kind of understand why they underwent this rebuild, obviously losing Matt Ryan, kind of losing out on the Sean Watson sweepstakes, kind of forced their hand, but more on that in a second. As always, we will start off with coaching changes, player personnel changes, then go through each quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So with all that said, let's get started with a look at the same coaches as last year. Credit to the Falcons for not too far overreacting to what happened, but we do have head coach Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator Dave Ragone, and defensive coordinator Dean Pease all back for their second season in Atlanta. 
looking at Arthur Smith's splits, he's been a play caller for three years now, two years in Tennessee, then last year in Atlanta. With the Titans, Derrick Henry, they ran the hell out of the ball. 26th in non-garbage time pass play rate in 2019, 30th in 2020. But coming to Atlanta, having Matt Ryan also being on a worse team, we did see them rank 10th in situation neutral pass play rate last year. Along the way, they actually have moved at a pretty good pace. They're only 19th in situation neutral pace per football outsiders in 2019. Last two years, though, they've ranked third and 11. So, Dwayne, looking at Arthur Smith, I think we'll see something a little more in between what we saw in Tennessee versus the 2021 version of the Falcons. I would be shocked if Arthur Smith confuses a mix of Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter as a Matt Ryan of the world. With that said, we don't really have a Derrick Henry in that backfield to warrant going full-fledged run heavy. So if I had to guess where they're going to rank in terms of pass play rate, I'd probably say somewhere between 15 and 20. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I think they will want to run the ball a little bit more given the quarterback situation and really just given, you know, Smith's roots again, like they've just got to they can't be in situations where they're just trailing all the time. You know, last year they trailed uh 45 percent, you know, of their plays. Not I mean, not terrible. Like that's not the worst. You know, the NFL averages 38 percent. So they actually managed to keep it probably closer than what we might think based on, you know, how they finished the season. But it is a team that, you know, Vegas doesn't expect to win many games this year either. So so we know how these things go. I, I think if Arthur Smith gets his way, he would want to be more of a balanced offense. <clears throat> but we'll see what the game scripts have to say about it. Some of the personnel moves, obviously the major move this offseason was Matt Ryan getting traded to the Colts in return for a third round pick. Basically, you know, lost out into the Sean Watson sweepstakes. And then pretty interesting move by the Falcons. Like they came out and said straight up that like, hey, we are trying to put Matt Ryan on a contender. We're not trying to get the most like we can get out of him on a trade, which like, hey honorable and i guess that's you know the sort of things the sort of hoops you might want to jump through to save face after losing out on that original sweepstakes went ahead and signed marcus mario to make up for it two-year 18.75 million dollar contract just 6.75 million of that is guaranteed atlanta can basically get out of this after a single season if they desire look you throw in desmond redder as a third round pick and Dwayne. Very likely chance that the quarterback of 2023 and the future is not even on the falcons roster at the moment yeah, I think it is a really good chance. And it's just, it, it makes this, and, and we'll talk about, you know, the playmakers, you know, in a minute, you know, or, you know, the offensive weapons, but like, there are a lot of guys on this team that I want to like, you know, but it's like hard to get like two behind them just because of the quarterback situation that we have going on. You know, um, I mean, with Mariota, um, and I know we'll get into him, you know, in more detail as well, but it's just like, we've seen him in a nutshell, like we've seen him long enough. Yeah. to know that he's probably not going to be able to do enough to really uncork like this huge ceiling for anyone, you know, on the team, maybe Kyle Pitts because he gets to play tight end. Right. And so it's easier because you just have less comp competition at that position. And I really do like Kyle Pitts this year, but it's just um, like, I want to like Drake London even more. Like I feel like Drake London on this team with Calvin Ridley gone, you know, right now because of the gambling thing, like I, I want to like Drake London even more, but the quarterback situation just makes it tough. Looking at the backfield, Mike Davis, last year's week one starter, went ahead and signed with the Ravens. You know, was underwhelming last season, but we did see CPAT kind of take that job from him eventually. They did go, go ahead and replace Davis to an extent with Damian Williams, ex-Chief Super Bowl hero. Last year was in Chicago. Ultimately did even get lapped by Khalil Herbert, though, um, in addition to Dave Montgomery, obviously. Also added Tyler Algier in the fifth round of the draft. And, you know, Dwayne, we'll touch on the backfield more specifically here in a bit, but... 
The history of anyone drafted outside the top three rounds, as we say almost every single podcast, is not good for any position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. But man, if there's ever going to be a fifth round rookie running back that has a chance to actually carve out a nice, nice role in this offense, it's looking like Tyler Agio in Atlanta, man. I mean, it's just a bunch of 30-year-old backs that we've really, other than Patterson, just seen lose position battles awfully recently. Tyler Algier, man, if you just had to pick a roster he could have landed on as a fifth-round pick, other than maybe like Houston, this is probably his best best path to getting a big role. Yeah, for sure. Um, and here's the big thing, you know, with him, and we can move on because we'll hit him in a minute. But, like, the ADP is not too nuts right now, right? So you can still get him at a spot where it's like, it's fine. I know we're projecting volume for a fifth-round pick, but you're not having to spend, like, an eighth-round pick on him, you know, in fantasy drafts. So I think that helps a lot. I know I've seen a lot of people really concerned about Algier, you know, his projected volume. But at the end of the day, like, it's nobody thinks too much of it because his ADP hasn't really moved up that much running through the rest of these moves. This was a long list, everyone. As always, you can catch my written out team previews on pff.com. But yeah, this Falcons section took me longer than just about anyone else. Calvin Ridley suspended for the entire 2022 season due to gambling. I've had some thoughts on this on Twitter. I guess I, I understand what the NFL has to do and gambling is such a touchy subject that they had to come down hard. But man, it's just not a great look when Ridley's getting an entire season. You start comparing that to past suspensions, but whatever. The point is he is out for two 2022. Russell Gage also out of the picture, signed a three-year, $30 million contract with the Buccaneers. Taze Sharp left, and he's now with the Bears. Christian Blake left and signed with the Cardinals. They really did just completely make over this wide receiver room, but they found that number one. They got that big-bodied outside receiver to come give this offense a spark. We were able to get Auden Tate to a one-year, $1.2 million deal in free agency. I guess Drake London in the first round was also a nice addition to the offense. The tallest pair of starting wide receivers in the league. Dwayne McFarlane, Auden Tate, and Drake London. Let's not forget that. Also acquired Brian. Wait, 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 wait. wait. You're not Colin Kyle Pitts a receiver anymore? Not yet. I'm coming around slightly. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll do it in a minute. We'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> yes, we will. Brian Edwards acquired from the Raiders just in kind of a later round pick swap. I still think there are a few Brian Edwards stands out there. He'll probably be competing with Tate and Alamide Zacchaeus for the final two starting spots opposite Drake London. Also signed Demir Bird and Kadero Hodge to minimum one-year deals to help fill out some depth. At tight end, Hayden Hurst left sign with the Bengals. Who'd they bring back? Anthony Ferkser, one-year $1.2 million deal reuniting with Arthur Smith and block first tight end Lee Smith. Smith remains an unrestricted free agent. Also added six-round tight end John Fitzpatrick, probably to replace Lee Smith as that blocker. So the, the fun stat I found, Dwayne, because yes, I have been quite outspoken about Kyle Pitt's usage. Last year, there were three tight ends that ran at least 80% of their routes in the slot or out wide. Mike Desicki was over 90%. The next two, Anthony Ferkser and Kyle Pitts, both on the Falcons now. They run a four-wide offense. That's awesome. Like, let's just embrace it. <laughs> Anthony Ferkser and Kyle Pitts, beware, everyone, watch out. Like Ferkser, Ferkser is just one of those guys, you know, that you're just like, every time I try to play him in DFS or something, like it doesn't work. And then like, you know, you just totally, you finally, you're just like, I'm not trying Ferkser anymore. And then that's the week he scores two touchdowns. That That's how Anthony Ferkser works for me. 
Man, this time last year, the Anthony Ferkser and Adam Troutman takes, you know, I don't know if anything I said aged worse than that. Uh, you know, looking ahead, I might want to might want to do a quick scan. You weren't of the, the only uh, one. You weren't the only one, man. And like a lot of these guys, it's not like we were saying, yeah, you know, round seven comes, you're on the clock. Make sure you get Anthony Ferkser all about the value. But yes, just going to be a backup for Kyle Pitts. So also added Desmond Ritter in the third round, as we mentioned. Yeah, a lot of freaking player movement going on with the Falcons this offseason. But let's get into that quarterback room again, Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. It looks like Mariota will open up the season as the Falcons starting quarterback. Those are the reports we're getting. You'd imagine it's going to be a competition of sorts, though. They're pretty similar players, Dwayne, which is wild. I even think PFF comped uh, Ritter to Marcus Mariota in our draft guide, if I'm not mistaken. If we didn't, I'm sure someone else has, because when you look at them, they're both plus athletes, but they don't exactly make a habit of running the hell out of the ball. And that's kind of my issue with the belief that Mariota could all of a sudden become this dual threat, really fancy friendly quarterback. He has that skill set. I mean, the dude won a Heisman for a reason. Like he is a legit athlete and the Raiders really used him like that the last two years. I mean, they, they use Mariota as this like short yardage, not a, not a wildcat. Like obviously you can throw the football, but that was kind of how they, every time Mariota was in the game for the Raiders, it was going to be a read option of sorts. And to his credit, he did a pretty good job with it. I just don't, think we can expect this out of him for a full season. I mean, if you look at him with the Titans, average a pretty pretty pedestrian 3.8 carries per game. We've already gotten some talks uh, out of OTAs that they're planning on running the ball more with their quarterbacks, but talked about the study I did earlier this offseason. That just shows that quarterbacks historically run less as they get older. And just, man, to your point earlier, I think we would have seen something from Mariota already. And it's we can look at fantasy and real-life numbers. In terms of a fantasy quarterback, he, here is finishes and fantasy points per game with the Titans. QB 17, QB 12, QB 23. The last two years, man, QB 33 and QB 30. He couldn't even average 13 fantasy points per game. I know those offenses weren't exactly the most fantasy-friendly groups for a quarterback, but it's really damning to see Ryan Tannehill come into that same situation and just completely outperform anything Mariota was able to do. And then from a passing perspective, because again, I'm not expecting Mariota to all of a sudden, all of a sudden become this Jalen Hurts level rushing threat. Maybe they boosted up a little bit, but we haven't seen that from him. And I just think that's awfully wishful thinking. Looking at him as a passer, using those stable metrics we like to talk about when kind of trying to remove a negative environment from a quarterback. So passing grade from a clean pocket throughout Mariota's time with the Titans, 36 among 52 quarterbacks. Straight dropbacks, 26. First and second down, 31st. No play action, 32nd. Throws at or beyond the first down marker, 27th. For reference, like Baker Mayfield is a lot better in all of these numbers, and I'm pretty sure all you out there listening understand that Baker Mayfield is not exactly the quarterback you want to be outperforming uh, the potential starter we're talking about. So for me, Dwayne, Mariota, he didn't do it in Tennessee. He's in a worse offense now. He's older. I still think he, he has the dual threat profile. I don't think it's enough to warrant any sort of fantasy consideration, especially considering, who knows, man, Ritter could be the starting quarterback by October. Yeah, once they took Ritter, it kind of took it, you know, it took it off the table, you know, especially in best ball, you know, in, in managed leagues, who knows, Mariota could be someone that we're looking at on the waiver wire after week one, <clears throat> you know, or if you play in a super flex, you know, Mariota could be like a QB three. Um, he is a guy that progressed like a little bit each year through his career, like as a, from a PFF passing grade standpoint, went from a 61, one to a 67, three to a 72, eight. But to your point, like his fantasy points per game, just never really got where we expect it to be. And I think the biggest part of it is because he never fully filled out out that 
dual threat, you know, um, component of his game that we thought he had. I mean, it's above the league average, like his, his rushing market share, um, year two of his career, 13%, 14%, you know, in 2017 and then 14% in 2018. Of course, 2019, he only played seven games for giving way to Tannehill, like you mentioned. Um, but it just never was, you know, the big difference for him. You know, if you look at his scramble rates, they're really not that much, you know, above like the league average. The league average quarterback scrambles on 4.3%, you know, of their dropbacks. Whenever you look at Mariota, like he's had years of 3-5, 4-6, 4-6. Just freaking run, Mariota. <laughs> just run. Like we know you can do it. Um, so take off. Like, it, 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 you know, he is a guy that I, I know that he's dealt with some injuries. So I don't know if that's something that's like in his head, but he seems to know how to like get down, like and not take big hits. It's not like the RG three thing that we used to see, you know, where he would get hurt sliding. Um, but you know, it, it's just never fully unlocked for whatever reason. The other thing that I'll say with Mariota that like, I think bothers coaches is the fact that one, you, you don't get a lot of big plays with him, but, and he, and he may not throw the picks like his turnovers, you know, have not been terrible. Like they've been right around the league average, you know, the league average is 2.2%. He's been pretty close to that, but his sack rates, man, he takes a lot of sacks. So like whenever you look at him, you know, uh, the NFL average, you know, four sacks, uh, 5.9%, you know, of dropbacks, a quarterback gets sacked. And if you look at, and we know quarterbacks own a big portion of getting sacked. If you look at Mariota in 2018, it was at 10%. And then it was at 12% of his dropbacks in 2019 whenever he got benched. So not only was he not coming through with the big plays, he was also killing drives with sacks. So that's something like if that continues, like I don't know how long he'll play. Um, because at that point, it's like if you're going to just deal with turnovers and sacks and all that, why not just see what your rookie has? Um, so I'm with you. Mario is a guy that I'm not. I'm not paying any attention to whatsoever. And, and, you know, right now is kind of best ball season, not paying any attention to him. There won't be paying attention to him in redraft unless it's a super flex league with really deep rosters might take him as a QB three there, but uh, most likely just a waiver wire guy. I wish he would just make one or two reads and go like, <laughs> yeah, Drake, yeah, that would be great. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, they're covered run man, because yeah, he has the athletic ability. It just seems like it's Jalen hurts. Does that? Yeah. Works out in fantasy. In real life, you know, just made the playoffs for Jalen Hurts. So shout out there. We are not in on Marcus Mariota ahead of 2022. Not really Desmond Ritter either. Here it was what Mike Renner and the awesome uh, PFF NFL draft crew wrote about Ritter in our 2022 draft guide. Where he wins, processing speed, Ritter is a decisive and quick pocket passer who has good enough arm talent to hit defenses over the top. While he's not much of a runner himself, his speed demands that he's accounted for. What's his role? Quick passer. Ritter isn't scheme limited by any means. He can step in day one and not look out of space as a out of place as a starter. Utilizing his legs as a weapon is a plus, but isn't necessary for him to succeed at the next level. Where he can improve ball placement. Ritter's ball placement is still below average by NFL standards, and it often is even worse early in games. He's too refined technically for this to dramatically change. And that last point is interesting to me because Seth Galina, one of the smartest football minds I've talked to and love that we have him at PFF, like he said Ritter was just technically in terms of the mechanics that he knows about that I could not tell you shit about. Ritter was his favorite quarterback in the class from that standpoint. And I think Seth's final point was like, if Ritter can't be a good quarterback in today's NFL, like what's even the point? We just need to keep finding like one alien after another and kind of teach them how to play the position, I guess. So with Ritter, again, this is why he reminds me of Mariota to an extent because 4 5 40-yard dash, 36-inch vertical, 10-foot, 7-inch broad jump. 
those were first among all quarterbacks who tested like truly elite numbers. But when you start looking at his rushing and just seeing even the tape, man, like when I was breaking down these quarterbacks before the draft, trying to see which ones had the most rushing ability, obviously Malik was number one, but I even ranked Sam Howell and Matt Corral ahead of Ritter, even though they're slower because you start looking at what they were able to do as a rusher and you're never getting broken tackles from Ritter, just 4.9 yards per carry. And he ran less as his collegiate career went along. So he does check the box that we've seen from past successful rookie quarterbacks of averaging at least 25 rushing yards per game. But the other thing that Andrew Luck, RG3, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray had in common was they were all starting in week one in Herbert's case, week two. I don't really think that's super on the table for Ritter at the moment. So, hey, Dwayne, we, I have not seen Ritter play a snap, and I've learned when the entire world was out on Josh Allen, when they were out on Daniel Jones and even Justin Herbert as soon as they got drafted, I'm done writing off quarterbacks before we've seen them play a snap. Maybe he's going to be awesome, and we'll get back on the train. But for right now, he's the backup. I don't think a third-round draft capital is something to really be risking. Ritter, not someone I'm going after in best balls. We'll see about the waiver wire later. And the last thing you said is the key, right? All the other guys you named were also first round draft picks and yeah. high picks. Ritter was not. And in, in a class where really there weren't any quarterbacks, right? So it could have been easy. We know how it goes. Like NFL teams are anxious to jump up if they need to and take one of these guys in the first round. So I, I think that's just really telling for this class overall that really, you know, we only, despite how much the NFL values quarterbacks, we only had Kenny Pickett go in the first round and then you know all the analysts thought oh there's gonna be a run on quarterbacks at the beginning of the second no there wasn't people just kept waiting i mean we saw look how far sam howell and all these different guys fell i think it's just pretty um you know it, it, to your point not to say that one of these guys couldn't end up coming through whether it's corral or ritter or whoever but at the end of the day like we're just trying to play probabilities for fantasy and the probabilities are that these guys especially this year right are not going to be factors and i think ritter just fits into that camp Last 10 years, regardless of experience, so there's all the quarterbacks in the league, over 70% of the top 12 fantasy QBs were drafted in round one or round two. So not saying it can't happen. There has been the Russell Wilsons, the Dak Prescotts. But once again, like we got to be careful about expecting exceptions to occur. Most of the time, probably better play the probabilities. Let's talk about one of the best players in the NFL, Dwayne. Cordero Patterson leading this backfield. Also got Tyler Algier there, Damian Williams, and Quadri Allison rounding out the backfield. You hear me, everyone? Cordero Patterson, fifth-round running back Tyler Algier, Damian freaking Williams, who just turned 30, and Quadri Allison. That's the competition we have. So when I <laughs> see the talks that how could Cordero Patterson do this again, this is how. It's looking at the roster like I if they had not paid CPAT, if they had brought in all this competition, that'd be one thing. That's not what happened. Like, just look at the money here, man. Cordero Patterson's contract, $10.5 million in value, $5 million guaranteed. Algier's got the typical fifth-round pick deal. I'm sure national reporters will tweet it out anyway because they're obsessed with these stupid freaking contracts that are the same for all the rookies. But the other guys, Damian Williams. 1.6 million, 500K guaranteed. Quadri Allison has 35,000 guaranteed. Jerry McNichols, who I forgot to name, $0 guaranteed. Like the backfield is Cordero Patterson's. He's got the 12th biggest contract on the entire team. Go look at the Atlanta Falcons Twitter. You're going to see CPAT and all the graphics. Why? Because he was one of their best players last year and they want him to be that guy again this year. I know he's old. I know he did not break out until his freaking ninth season in the NFL and you want to just call that an outlier. But man, 
when all these moves have happened, I don't know how you can project this offense. Like what? You want to say Tyler Algier or Damian Williams is just going to completely take over? Outside of a freak injury occurring, I don't see how CPAT's going to finish under 200 combined carries and targets. Right? Right. Yeah, I don't I don't see how he's not either. Um you know, just looking at the offense, it's gonna be him, Pitts, and London. Um, yeah, we could see, you know, one of the other guys work in as far as, you know, um, you know, helping take some of the carries. I, I think they'll try to avoid, you know, I don't think they want Corderell Patterson to have two hundred rushes, but I don't think we should immediately say that it can't happen because I think it depends on how well the other guys can play. But at the end of the day, like the big thing for Patterson is just, you know, last year a twenty six point uh twenty six percent targets per route run, the yards per route run of two point two two. You know, you look at his uh you know PFF receiving grade, you know, way up there as well. It was a ninety one point four, which I believe was the number two for running backs behind only Christian McCaffrey. And let's face it, CPAT's breaking out, you know, and playing outside wide, right, against cornerbacks. Like, it's just really what CPAT's doing is even more impress- impressive. So I think I, you know, for PPR, half PPR formats, I see no problems with Patterson. I think there's a little more risk in standard leagues just because we don't know for sure how many rushing attempts he can get. You know, last year, I will say, though, like, you know, he had 41% of the rushing attempts, you know, in the games that he played at least 10% of the snaps. He had 52% of the short down and distance in those games. So it wasn't like, they weren't willing to use him at all. Usually you'll see a back like Patterson, um, you know, whenever that situation arises, like that number, like for example, Chase Edmonds only saw 35% of that work in games where he played at least 10% of the snaps. And so, and by doing that 10% of the snaps, I'm just trying to get rid of the games where they didn't really play, right? And get it out of their averages. And so with Patterson, like we did see him get used in the short down and distance work. You know, if you look at AJ Dillon's at 65% and Cordero Patterson was at 52%. Now, PFF rushing grade for Cordero Patterson was a 64.7, which wasn't really good. You look at a guy like AJ Dillon at 90.1, Josh Jacobs 82.8, just like some guys are around him on my list. So Cordero did not grade as good in the rushing game, but I, I don't want to sit here and act like they didn't try to use him, you know, in some interesting ways. Like if everything broke right for Patterson this year, you know, he could be more than just a receiving back and he could even see carries inside the five, right? That's why I look at the short down and distance stuff. You just get a larger sample size than carries inside the five. Um, because typically if you're getting the short down and distance, you're also the back that gets the work inside the five, right? So it just gives us a better indicator of what the coaching staff is thinking. So man, Patterson checks a ton of boxes. And the biggest thing, Ian, right now, you can get him over on underdog at the 93rd pick. That's the 30th running back going off the board. FFPC, you get FFPC, right? Where, you know, you can, you can play two flex spots, you know, and people draft running backs earlier over there going 31st back off the board. So I get it. People are worried, going to be 31 and a half years old going into this season, but man, he does not have near the workload that most backs have. Um, So I'm just not as worried about the age. You know, if he was 34, 33, probably a little more worried. But I just I just feel like there's a lot of tread left on the tire. And the other thing people forget with Patterson, you know, I think, you know, just miss us with the splits, you know, of, oh, my God, <laughs> Thank after X week, he was hurt. He got a high ankle sprain. And yes, did he power through it like the following week and actually manage a good fantasy performance? Yes. But then that doesn't mean you just get to dismiss it and be like, oh, but then after that, he wasn't good. Well, why do you think that is? Because he probably shouldn't have tried to play through it. And then they eventually ended up, you know, I think he missed two games, Ian, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't have that part up in front of me right now. But 
with Patterson, you know, when I look at the splits, I'm it's I don't think it's because he hit a wall. It's really because the injury set in. So I mean, look, man, PPR, I absolutely love him. I've got a lot of exposure to Corderell Patterson as like my RB three, sometimes my RB two, like depending on the way a draft goes. Right now, I was looking at my exposure today. I think he's my fourth highest owned running back after doing about 20 of these best ball drafts since uh, the NFL draft ended. To your first point about the goal line work, he's 6'2", 220. Like, he's not this usual scat back. He can catch the ball and run between the tackles. Like, just because a couple NFL coaching staffs couldn't figure that out, the Falcons have, God bless them. About the age, not ideal. But yeah, Jonathan Taylor already has 52 more career regular season touches on offense than Patterson does. Like that's how little he's been used throughout his career. Certainly seemed, uh, you know, did, wasn't losing any juice last season. Is that and total then, touches, Ian, or is that just rushing attempts? Rushing like and receptions. So, I think. Okay, wow, yeah. yeah. If, cool. if you don't, kick returns probably should be added in. I mean, that's not exactly a... But still, I think the point yeah. stands. Yeah, like fine, throw in his kick returns. But the, the the point being, like you know, there are backs that have been in the league two to three years that have more touches than Patterson. <laughs> exactly. And now for the splits. Here's the thing about the splits, and it all comes down to his ADP right now. He is being priced as the RB thirty or RB thirty one in weeks one through nine. Before he sprained his ankle against the Cowboys, he was the RB seven overall and the RB six on a per game basis. After that, comes back from injury, does not play nearly as well. The Falcons accordingly did not use him the same way as a receiver. Basically, much, much more of a traditional running back, pure running back role. He finishes as the RB20 overall in weeks 12 through 18 and the RB31 on a per-game basis. So literally, he is being priced on a per-game basis when he was playing hurt for the second half of the year. So I just don't get like dismissing all the good things he did early in the year. Like We legitimately saw this guy work as a top-six running back for half the season. You don't see a bunch of guys just accidentally pull that out of their ass. It's like the Amon Ross St. Brown thing, man. You can say that they didn't have anyone else to give the ball to. Well, they still don't really have anyone to give the ball to. And we saw him do it in this offense. Don't just dismiss it. So what is what a ceiling and floor for him. I love where we're able to get him in draft shot. Now, again, Dwayne, I, I'm really comfortable now only taking one or two running backs early on in the draft because of guys like CPAT, Claude Eversolaire, Miles Sanders, Chase Edmonds, these running backs that were dead zone dudes or just completely off out of the picture last year. Like they were in the dead zone because they were going in the third or fourth round. When they're going in the seventh or eighth round, we can get people behind that yeah absolutely and again that's what it comes back to is the adp and the fact that look explosive player who catches passes we yep. talk about this all the time so i just love him in half point and full point and uh he started to creep up a little bit in adp but the market's just still behind with Tyler Algier, want to quickly read our thoughts on him from the 2022 NFL Draft Guide. I find this helpful. If you guys are annoyed by it, tell me and I'll shut up. But, you know, just I like it. I, I appreciate the work our NFL Draft crew does. And if you guys haven't had the chance to grind these players, I think it gives us a nice snapshot of them before they enter the NFL. So where he wins, no nonsense running. Algier wins by con consistently maximizing his run blocking. He's not going to pass up open holes, searching for big plays. He'll get you what's blocked in a little extra. What's his role? Zone scheme RB. Algier would be perfect in a zone-heavy scheme to take advantage of his one-cut running style and vision. While he's not limited per se, that's easily his cleanest projection where he can improve creativity. Algier could stand to be more creative when he gets into the open field. He maintains his no-nonsense running style in the open field and often seeks out contact instead of avoiding it. 
this sounds like the tailor-made running back to go step into this early down role, man. <laughs> Mike Davis is leaving behind 196 combined carries and targets. Like, I know he didn't give us anything last year, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Like, he had a good amount of volume. Unfortunately, couldn't make much happen with it. Damian Williams last year lost his position battle to Khalil Herbert by the halfway point. Allison had chances to take over last year. Couldn't do it. Nick Nichols lost out to freaking Doncho Hilliard, who wasn't even on the Titans until halfway through the season. Like, you know, as you said, Dwayne, uh, previously this offseason about, I think, some of the quarterbacks, and <laughs> I talked about this on the best ball uh, stream, so I don't think he put it in this specific manner. But when we look at some of these guys that have had a history of sucking, like given the guy that has not sucked at the NFL level yet, that is Tyler Algie. Year, one of just four draft eligible running backs to boast a 70 plus PFF grade in rushing, receiving, and pass blocking alike. Bro, if we can get him around 13 or later in best ball land, like again, the draft capital is not there. Everything else seems to be. I think we need a shirt. It just says, Give me the guy that hasn't sucked yet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's where we're headed. But hey, man, with Algier, I will say, uh, you know, he, he checks some boxes. Like, you know, if folks want to go back and check these, you can. Whenever we were covering the draft, you know, we put together these profiles for the players and, you know, I did some, you know, some stuff on their, basically on their data, like their breakouts and their percentage of yardage for their team, explosive rush rate, all this kind of cool stuff. But the main thing for Algier that, you know, kind of, and we talked about him, you know, back then, but what impressed me, you know, is the, you know, the call, the collegiate average, right. For a running back for explosive rush rate, which is carries of 10 plus yards or more um, for guys that get drafted um, 15%. And so Algier was above that. He was at 17%. So it wasn't the best in the class. Pierre Strong and James Cook were the two tops, but he was right there after that. You had uh, Tristan Ebner also right ahead of him. But he was he was above average from an explosiveness standpoint. Career avoided tackles per attempt, or you sometimes hear us call this missed uh, tackles force per rushing attempt, 29%. And so if you look at you know the collegiate average for the players that get drafted, 23%. So he's six percentage points above that. And I think a lot of people just glom on to the fact that, you know, he, he wasn't fast in the 40. He was a 4.60. And so I get it. Like, like you want to hold that against him. I mean, I'm look, we know we know that that matters because mainly it impacts draft capital is really the big thing, though, with the 40 time. And we saw his draft capital slip, like you already mentioned. But I just want to make sure I mention those things just because Algier, you know, he does actually, you know, even though he, he ran slow, didn't have you know, great capital, like some of his underlying data points still say that there's a little bit of pop to his game. And it's not like he's this super old back, right? He's only going to be 22.4 years old coming in. Like, yeah, he's not Brees Hall, who's 21.3, Kenneth Walker, 21.9. But I mean, he's also not, you know, one of these 24-year-old rookies. You know, he's he's going to be, he's right in that sweet spot still. So I think Algier could have something. And again, like the thing with him, just like we, what we talked about with Patterson, is the ADP just really hasn't warmed up that much yet. Like if he, this is a guy that if we can continue to hear about him in camp and as more and more people are doing their projections i think he could still creep up a little bit more you know as far as adp goes but right now like you're still getting a really good value you know i think you know on tyler algier not like you got to take him every draft but right now he's going as the 47th back off the board on underdog um that's at pick 154 154 <laughs> right and then whenever you look at him over on ffpc he's the 46th back off the board so i have him uh ranked ahead of you know, both of those, not, not by far. I've got him at 43 where he's 46 and 47 on those two sites, but still he's an easy back to get like as your RB four RB five, like he's right there in that range. 
Shout out uh, Mike Wright from the Fantasy Footballers. Obviously a legend in his own right, so shout out just for that. But last year, I was trying to come up with a good name for these backup running backs that might have some standalone value, but also have good handcuff value. And Mike uh, commented, and I thought won the debate, flex with benefits. That's what Tyler Algier could bring to the table, man. I think in that low borderline kind of RB4 range, the Isaiah Spillers, Rashad Whites, Tyler Algier, Deontay Foreman, Hassan Haskins. It's a great tier where Algier, out of that group, him and Spiller probably have the best chance of actually carving out some early down value. And God forbid something does happen to Cordero Patterson, depending on how Williams and Olsen look. Maybe we are in the second half of the season. Algier is playing on all three downs. He has that theoretical three down ability. And to your point, Dwayne, if we make it through week one of the preseason in I assume they're going to like rest CPAT and he's taking like all the first team snaps. He's going to be on the rise big time with the ADP and want to point out that the best way to try to take advantage of some of these moves throughout the summer is by playing best ball over at underdog fancy. Their best ball mini tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year. When the champion of best ball mania last year drafted in June. So there's no time like the present to join underdog and take your shot in a million dollar draft. Plus underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. And if you play just 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store, play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at FanDraft. Are you holding an in-person fantasy football draft party this year? Then you need to check out FanDraft.com. FanDraft is a modern, digitalized version of those old sticker boards we used to use in our drafts. However, unlike those outdated sticker boards, FanDraft makes your fantasy draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as custom logos, draft clock, team walk-up songs, a streaming news ticker, and much more. FanDraft works by running your league's draft from the FanDraft.com website and then exporting your display onto a large screen TV for the league to enjoy. It can also be used fully online. Any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. So sign up for a free trial account at FanDraft.com. When you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use promo code PFF to save 15% off your purchase. That's FanDraft.com with code PFF. Let's talk some wide receivers. Dwayne, a couple good ones on this team. I mean, we got Drake London and Auden Tate and Okay, maybe just one. But anyway, with Drake London, I want to quickly go through again what our lovely draft experts had to say about him in our 2022 NFL Draft Guide, where he wins with that basketball background. London wins the way elite power forwards win. Not surprising with his basketball background. He's too quick for bigger corners and too physical for smaller corners. Even when he's covered, London is still likely to haul it in. What's his role? True number one X. London is a prototypical possession receiver. He will command double teams on third down at the next level because of how many ways he can win. Teams that use receivers heavily as blockers in the run game will covet him. Where he can improve? Speed. Speed is the only real knock on his game. Sadly, I don't think that's anything he can drastically change overnight. Big story of March, Dwayne, was Drake London's inability to separate. My God, look at the contested catches. We did a little bit of film study. I think we realized that was not quite as big of a problem as people were making it out to be. It's 2022. Not every receiver needs to be 170 pounds and five foot eight, six foot four, 219 pounds. Just because he's a freaking man among boys, I refuse to believe that's a bad thing, Dwayne. He's got the draft capital. He's got the available targets. He seems to be perfectly healthy coming off that unfortunate broken ankle. I mean, seeing him already out there in rookie minicamp running around, absolutely great to see. And I think, Dwayne, the same sort of analysis we were doing last year on Jalen Waddle is going to come into play with Drake London. 
we don't see wide receivers drafting this high and not be majorly involved in the offense. Specifically, we've had 12 wide receivers selected inside the top 10 since 2012, just the last 10 years. There were seven who missed. Okay, there were five who missed a lot of games. Corey Davis, Mike Williams, Kevin White, John Ross, and Tavon Austin. I don't think there's anything there. I think it's a small sample of guys that had completely different injuries. I don't think there's a case to be made that top 10 wide receivers are more injury prone than anyone else. And again, based on London already being out there running around, I'm not going to hold his injury against him for now. The non-injured top 10 receivers, Jamar Chase, 128 targets, Jalen Waddle, 140, Devontae Smith, 104, Amari Cooper, 130, Sammy Watkins, 128, Mike Evans, 122, and still employed by the Jaguars somehow, Justin Blackman, 132. The lowest PPR fantasy finish was a wide receiver 30. London is currently going as the ADP wide receiver 33. What are we missing, Dwayne? Because it sure looks like Drake London is another example of a guy being priced closer to his floor than his ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I don't think London is as good as those players, but like his his draft capital argues otherwise. You know, I think, you know, looking at this class, we could make the argument that overall the class was so weak that you kind of have to discount all of these. But at the end of the day, when you look at the Falcons, you've got Kyle Pitts, you've got him. You've got Corderell Patterson. Like he's going to be one of the three main weapons, you know, in the offense. Now it's not an offense that we're like, you know, nuts over. But again, like you just talked about, whereas ADP is sitting, like I'm totally fine, you know, with Drake London. You know, right now I've got him sitting as my wide receiver 32. He's going as the 33rd wide receiver over on underdog. He's going as the 37th over on FFPC. So that's a full point underdog is half point PPR. Um, so yeah, I mean, and this is a guy that, you know, you're getting you know around pick 70 on underdog right now so and and, you know and that's in a format you know where wide receivers fly off the board you know you look over at ffpc it's pick 87 so i really do like london um you know i wasn't nuts about his profile but once you're drafted as the eighth overall like that does a lot you know um for how you're going to look you know in any in any sort of analysis right that we're going to do and again it wasn't like we didn't like london or that i didn't like london i did um i just wasn't quite as high on him as some folks saying that he's this absolute slam dunk i don't know that he's that But yes, he checks all the boxes and he's only going to be 21. So, I mean, he's a young guy as well, a guy that's coming out early, which we tend to like. So for me with London, like at the ADP, I'm getting plenty of exposure. Uh, I don't know if I would say I'm over or under, but I'm definitely getting plenty of Drake London. My wide receiver 33 after adjusting the old ranks. Can we put him as the top redraft rookie wide receiver over Traylon Burks at this point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've got him there right now. I mean, I've got Burks just a couple of spots, you know, behind. It's just with Burks right now. Also, though, we've got the stuff like his conditioning, you know, it's like, can you know, the asthma, like, is he getting to get enough reps? And like, so you just start kind of worrying like is Burke, you know, a lot of these younger guys, when they come in and miss time, like that can impact them throughout the season. Now, we're not even to training camp yet. Right. So it's not panic you know, time for Traylon Burks. Like we've also seen plenty of footage of him running routes and stuff and actually looking pretty good. Um, But yeah, I've got Drake London two spots right now ahead of Traylon Burks. Big same. All right. I think we can unfortunately dismiss the rest of these guys. I would love to sit here and say that Auden Tate's worthy of a late round pick. And I do have him ranked ahead of the rest of them, but it just seems like Dwayne, we're going to have Drake London in one of those spots. And between the other three, who's to say there's even going to be two full-time starters. I mean, we have Auden Tate, Brian Evers, Alameda Zacchaeus, Daryl Hodge, and Demir Bird. Like Bird could feasibly be a starting wide receiver. We've seen him do that at several stops over the last few years, just because of that four, two, eight, 40. Auden Tate, Brian Evers, very similar skill sets, but Zacchaeus is the one with the most 
most uh, familiarity of the system. So ultimately, when I'm getting into the later rounds of the drafts, you can take almost any player in the league and rationalize, you know, spending an 18th round pick on them. But I'll take guys with more confirmed starting roles like a DJ Chark, like a Marvin Jones, or guys that are in offenses with just a better overall pass game environment like a Van Jefferson, KJ Hamler. Do you feel the same way? I mean, we, we don't need to be yeah. taking shots on these guys. No, no. If anything comes out of this, it'll be waiver wire. Okay. Kyle Pitts. Let's talk about him. Pretty massive W for him last year. If we remove the preseason expectations, I mean, that's the only problem. Like we were drafting him as a top four tight end. He finished tight end six, tight end 11 on a per game basis, joins Evan Ingram and Rob Gronkowski as the only rookie tight ends to finish as a top 12 PPR producer since 2010. Got over a thousand yards, even scored one touchdown when the Jets decided to guard him with a defensive lineman on the goal line. I went back to him and I watched every single one of his receptions from last year. I came away with a newfound respect for the man because not only did we see him just making a lot of plays against linebackers and safeties like we knew he could. I mean, I've talked about how much better his kind of yards per route ranking is against safeties and linebackers versus cornerbacks before. But man, some of the plays he put on film against the Dolphins, especially Zayvon Howard, Byron Jones, he's just so damn big, man, that he can get up there and win the ball against anyone. And, you know, all my um, people have heard my my rant about him and Jasicki actually being wide receivers. He's a tight end in fantasy and teams seem to want to treat him as a tight end. So we'll call him a tight end and I'll chill the hell out on that storyline for at least the uh, current or present and a little bit into the future. I can't guarantee much past that. Looking at how he did against tight ends. What's there not to like PFF receiving grade. He was sixth among 53 qualified tight ends. Yards per route run fifth yards per reception. First targets per route run eighth. I reject the idea that Kyle Pitts is like this elite overall pass game option. If you compare him to other wide receivers, I, I don't think he's there yet. But man, the dude is going to turn 22 here in October. Like, my God, that's pretty damn good for his first season at a position that we usually never see guys play that well. Even making him a wide receiver and comparing him, that was still a pretty good rookie year. So for me, tight end four, I'm taking Kelsey, Andrews, and Kittle ahead of him. The question, Dwayne, do we really want to go after him? Because again, despite saying all those good things, he's going as a 32nd player off the board over our underdog fantasy right now. If you're taking Kyle Pitts, you're taking them over guys like Michael Pittman and James Conner that I am feeling a little better about. So I, I see the talent there. He's an ascending guy. Dynasty land. That's great. But you know, I don't think we can just take Darren Waller splits and one Marcus Mariota start and times them by 17. Are you in on Kyle Pitts as a legit top 35 player right now? I am, um, you know, and it's just because, you know, seeing him do what he's doing at such a young age while also having to play outside to your point. Right. And not just getting to play inside, like really a lot of the elite tight ends that we're comparing Kyle Pitts's yards per route, you know, run, you know, targets per route run, all those things they are getting to play inside more. Um, so for me with Pitts, you know, I think having Drake London as really a bigger possession guy getting to play outside. I'm hoping this opens up more routes for him on the inside. Um, a guy that only saw 18%, you know, of the target share in, in the end zone for as big as he is like that could easily be 30%. Like Mark Andrews gets to see 30, 35%. So I think with Pitts, I'm just not going to overthink it. I don't, I'm not crazy about the Falcons offense, but the biggest thing, like, look, going into, you know, he'll be 22 years old, um, basically this season, 21.9, you know, when the season starts, starts, um, hits all these elite numbers as a rookie, like you talked about it. One other one, one of three rookie tight ends to post a 2.00 plus yards per route run as a rookie since 2011. The other two were Mark Andrews and Jordan Reed. Um, you also mentioned, you know, the comps with Evan Ingram and Rob Gronkowski. So, I mean, it, it just the list goes on and on. Like he's on a who's who's list. 
regardless of tight ends. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of what season. Yeah. Does Kyle Pitts blow the roof off? So I have him as my tight end three, you know, right now. Um, but I have him in a tier with Darren Waller and George Kittle. I've got Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews in the tier above by themselves. But Pitts is a player that I want to be at least even on exposure, maybe slightly ahead. And I think there's plenty of ways to do it just because there's a lot of guys that I like to mix in and in the range that he goes in, you know, because once you get to the middle of that third, there's not necessarily anyone that we're just like saying, oh, my God, like you have to have them. We get to a lot of guys we like, right? Like we love T Higgins, but you don't have to have him every draft. We love Michael Pittman, but you don't have to have him. every. I could see myself easily mixing Kyle Pitts with with Higgins, mixing Pitts, you know, with Pittman, even mixing Pitts with, you know, James Conner, who I know we both really like. But at the end of the day, we don't want to be I don't want to be way overweight on Conner. Um, I want to be slightly overweight. So I think there's. I think there's room to get at least, you know, to even on weight with Pitts and slightly be, you know, over. Um, it's just a young ascending player. And so if you can be ahead, like we just know the ceiling is there, right? We know the ceiling could happen. And we've seen tight ends come through on bad offenses just because, especially again, I think the key man, if he could play more inside against the linebackers and safeties, we would feel even better. If they're going to continue to line him up outside um, against the cornerbacks, that's going to be a problem, right? So that's kind of the wild card. And not that he can't overcome it, but I think that really takes some of the upside away like because he's just not getting the advantage that a lot of his peers get of, of getting better matchups inside. He's got – he probably had five or six really nice catches like down the sideline and one-on-one against the cornerbacks just winning uh, at the catch point. You did what, a good what, video on him. I loved the video you put up. Of thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, with that video, man, just – from trying to remember how I felt about him throughout the 2021 season. Like he had the dolphins game early on. He had the big game in London. It seemed like he was on the verge of breaking out, went quiet for a little bit towards the end of the year, man, that bills game. He had a nice long catch and run that I think actually put him over a thousand yards. And then that Buccaneers second Buccaneers game, he like barely stepped out of bounds. He almost had like a monster 70 yard catch and run just showing off some legit yak, like shoving dudes to the ground. He's still 21 years old. Like there is a chance that we're looking at someone that is in that Kittle Andrews tier, maybe not quite as good as them after the catch, but man, if we can get a combination of the inside routes with him also maturing and just becoming even better after the catch, which is not that crazy of a thing to say. His explosive target rate, 27%. 27% of his targets went for 15 plus yards, which was second. Uh, behind Dallas Goddard uh, and Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski was tied with him last year. So, I mean, a guy that's making big plays down the field, 11% of his routes came from 20-plus yards. So, like, there's just a lot of things to like. The biggest thing, honestly, like, just let the guy catch a few freaking touchdowns. Like, if he would just caught, like, five touchdowns last year, like, we might already be ranking Kyle Pitts, like, as the tight end, too, right? I mean... Kelsey and Andrews are tough company like to try to get ahead of. So he's probably still the three, but I think that's the other thing with him is touchdowns per route run only 0.2% of the time he was in a route. Did he catch a touchdown? Whereas with Kelsey, 1.5%, Mark Andrews, 1.4%, George Kittle, 1.5%, Dalton Schultz for crying out loud, 1.5%. You know, so Pitts, you know, that's not going to stick forever. Not, not saying he may get to the 1.5 or 1.4. Some of these other guys that probably that have better passing games, better quarterbacks, but like, if you can just get to 1%, man, that, that, that means he would be five Xing what he did last year. And that alone is going to like, 
that will solidify him as a top five guy. Um, so I think there's just so many paths, honestly, for, for Pitts to to really ascend and do more. I, I want to get my hands on him, you know, as often as I can. And I'm starting to think that same way the more we're talking about him. Like, Dwayne, should we be prioritizing Kyle Pitts ahead of the wide receiver two tier? Like, just put him ahead of Pittman, ahead of Terry McLaurin, and take him there. Because if we do that, all of a sudden, we are going to be getting a lot of him in the third round. So I did my top 150 article. It comes out uh, tomorrow morning, um, but I've been working on it today. Got it finished. And so I have Pitts um, kind of sneak preview for the folks listening to this. Um I put Pitts in, so I've got Waller at 39. Where did Kyle Pitts go now that I'm trying to find him on the air? This is terrible. All right, yeah. Uh, so I've got A.J. Brown at 25, but then I've got Pitts right after him at 26. Then i got Michael Pittman at 27. Um, so, I mean, I've got him slightly ahead of James Conner. I've got him slightly ahead of Keenan Allen. I, and I'm not saying you have to take him ahead of all those guys, but I've got him ahead of Jalen Waddell. I mean, I've got him at 26 overall. I'm not saying you got to do it every time, but look, man, he's just such a great young talent. There's so many things that could break easily for him um, versus I think there's less things I'm worried about going against him, um, you know, is the way that I'm really feeling about Pitts. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fine prioritizing him over some of those receivers. I'm sold. I can't go overall 26. I can go overall 27. Let's get some Kyle. <laughs> let's get some Kyle Pitts, man. It. Like it just he doesn't have any more questions. I think that his talent profile and the potential gain we can get from getting an elite tight end early on in the draft. It's just versus the drafting Kyle, drafting Kyle Pitts is fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're here for, right? Fun, we're here man. to have fun, Dwayne. Yeah, like and seriously though, he really like he tight end one overall is in his range of outcomes. Like, look, we know he's not in the same passing attack, but like he is just such a unique player. Like he really is kind of a unicorn at the position. And so to your point, like I don't want to overset expectations for him because I felt like he had to battle that last year. Um, but I think where I've got him slotted, slotted, I feel really comfortable being, you know, over the market on exposure at a minimum, even. That's what it comes down to. And again, based on having gone through a lot of drafts now, and we've talked about kind of the value we can get our running back in rounds seven through 10. And just the fact that I think the wide receiver 13 and the wide receiver 24 aren't that different. I mean, let's go ahead and get one of these tight ends early if we can, particularly when they're checking all the boxes like Pitts, Andrews, obviously Kelsey are as well. So just to quickly recap the Atlanta Falcons ahead of 2022, Mariota, Desmond Ritter, just too much uncertainty of their playing time in a bad offense. And without them, you know, they have the athletic tools, but not necessarily that mindset to run like a chicken with his head cut off all the time not players that we're going to actively be looking at basically in leagues of all shapes and sizes at running back Cordero Patterson is a fantastic value where he's going right now. If you find yourself with only one or two running backs in the first six or seven rounds, do not be afraid to scoop him up. Tyler Algier, also a nice value where he's going deep into that RB four RB five range. Don't be surprised if he carves out that early down role. Also has a nice little ceiling of something happens to see Pat. Wide receiver, we are about with consensus, maybe a little bit above on Drake London. Just tough to get behind anyone else in this 
crowded backup wide receiver room. There's just, we don't know who's going to really be ascending to that. And obviously the winner is not going to be better than probably the number four pass game option, regardless behind London CPAT and our guy, Kyle Pitts, who I'm actively moving up. I've adjusted the ranks live on the show, baby. We are going in on Kyle Pitts, the tight end three and someone that we should be prioritizing ahead of the wide receiver twos and running RB twos of the world. Sound about right. Twain. I think it sounds perfect. As Ooh. It sounds Ooh. nailed it. Nailed it. Perfect. I love it. Great day to be great. We will be back tomorrow with the Carolina Panthers and Dwayne. I'll be back together in about five minutes to record that very episode. Anything else you want to get off your chest, Dwayne? No, man. No, that was a great, that was a great episode. I think, you know, just looking at the Falcons, the, the biggest question is obviously the quarterbacks, but there, there's a lot to like with London and Pitts and, and Corderell Patterson, all guys that I'm not scared of getting plenty of exposure to. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks for those tuning PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.